Hello. The days are lengthening. The birds trill happily in the trees that sway outside my window. Spring is unmistakably among us. And yet, I am uneasy. There are sounds in the night. As I walk down the street, I catch a glance of a man watching me. I cannot shake that something is strangely, chillingly off. This is the world we enter in Arkham Horror, the card game, and I invite you to enter it with me, your host, Frank. Joining us today is a staunch explorer of dark things of the night. It's... It's me, Peter. Hello. Hello, Peter. Did you like my poetic opening? It was very good, yeah. Yeah, I was... Uh, I almost didn't respond when you, you, you called my name. I was so, so enthralled, yeah. <laughs> Just a quick reminder of our spoiler policy... The way that it works on Drawn to the Flame is whatever the most recent released pack is, we say that the player cards from that pack are fair game to talk about and mention or allude to, like uh, Bandolier at the moment, or Stand Together or something like that. These are all cards that are out from the Essex County Express. But we won't talk about the story in the Essex County Express. We won't talk about the mythos. The encounter cards in the Essex County Express will restrict that to at least the previous pack. So if you're worried about hearing something in the actual encounter deck in Essex, don't worry. Did I get that right? Yeah, that sounds good to me. We might allude to the Miskatonic um, Museum, but bearing in mind the content for this week, I'm not sure we'll be talking that much about it. Yeah, exactly. So what are we talking about this week, Peter? Well... Two cards in particular have, have caught our eyes as being interesting Arkham cards, potentially cards we wouldn't really see in other card games. So I, I fancied doing a, a bit more of a, of a deeper exploration just of these two cards and, and seeing where that takes us. That's a really nice idea. I think one of the things that this is forcing us to do is it's forcing our podcast to do things that maybe a normal podcast wouldn't do um, I'm thinking actually of Netrunner podcasts when I say this. Some of them have a fairly set format and they just stick to it. And with a game like Arkham Horror, it's so different and there are such strange cards that I feel we're justified in just looking at two and seeing how we get on from there. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I, th- I think it, it'll help us talk about some of the things that are different in, uh, for example, building your decks in Arkham and how we value particular cards as well. Precisely, precisely. So, shall we jump in and talk about the first one? Sure, sure. Uh, Do you want to introduce this one, or do you want to introduce the other one? I want to introduce this one, I think, because I think you want to introduce the other one. That's fine. Go for it. (laughs) Uh, So, the first card we're going to talk about this episode is a rogue card. It's called Adaptable. It's an asset, but it has no cost, apart from a one experience point cost. And that's because it's permanent... And it's a talent, and it reads, in between each game of a campaign, you may swap up to two level zero cards out of your deck in exchange for an equal number of level zero cards. You must still follow all deck building rules for your investigator. So this was, I think, our first permanent, wasn't it? It was, yeah. I think we... Did we mention that when we talked talked about that pack? I don't know that we did. Did we even talk about that pack? No, because this came in Miskatonic Museum... And we didn't really do a player card review. When we get round to reviewing talents, um, oh, yeah. it'll come up. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, our, our first permanent, and and on first blush, it's it's not a particularly sexy effect. It's a deck building experience based effect. Uh, but the more I thought about it, the more interesting I found this card. It, it's almost uh, people have thrown around the phrase uh, a rogue class skill. So th- this card is available for all of the rogues we've got. So Jenny and Skids can both take this, yeah. and then Wendy can also take it as well. Who is the most roguish of the survivors? I suppose she is. Yeah, and I'm. I'd be surprised going forwards if if other rogue investigators w- uh, couldn't take this. Uh, it would seem an odd restriction for them to have not level one rogue cards. Anyway, so so what it means is that rogues are now just better than everyone else at swapping level zero cards. Because the first time I want to swap a level zero card, which costs me one experience, I just use, buy adaptable for my deck. And then I swap two cards instead. And then I can also swap two cards after every game. Yeah, so just just explain what you mean a little bit again about what you mean by a, a class skill. Is that what you called it? A rogue class skill? Yes. Yeah, so, so fundamentally, this makes rogues better at swapping level zero cards than any of the other classes. So that becomes then a sort of hallmark of, of the rogue faction entirely, that one thing you can do as a rogue is just swap cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I guess that's, that's where we're going with that. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think it's it would be amazing if we see other one experience permanent cards for the other factions that have, if not identical effects, then, then effects that seem to really push that faction in a certain direction. I, I can't really off the top of my head imagine what they'd be, but... Well, I mean, there's a few things to break down with this card. First up, it's got permanent, and permanent really changes the way we, we view the value of cards. Definitely. Another example of this is like is the Charisma and Relic Hunter, which just come out in the most recent pack. So a, a permanent card, it has an added bonus that you, you never have to search your deck to find it. It's always in play. That effect really can't be understated enough. Is understated the word I want? Can't be overstated. Can't be overstated. You went yeah. the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say under exaggerated, but that's not what I meant. Yeah, that that effect can't be can't be overstated enough. One of my playing buddies was talking about getting charisma for his deck and was saving up six XP to get two copies because he'd missed that it was permanent. Oh, he thought he had to draw it. Yeah, so he said, "Well, why would you buy this and you'd only spend three XP for something you might never see?" When I'm going to definitely buy a pair, and I pointed out to him that it's actually permanent and. You, know, you saw his eyes light up because it, what you're getting is the guaranteed slot with Charisma and with Adaptable, going back to Adaptable, when you pay that 1 XP, it's immediately there in play for you to use. Uh, well, I was going to say, you sort of brought us on to a, a, the next, one of the next interesting things about Adaptable, which is first up, how it works with those extra st- slot cards that cost experience like Charisma and Relic Hunter. Now, now, one of the things about the the permanent cards is they let you structure your deck around having that ability in play. So I don't have to worry when I'm building my guardian deck. I can put in two beat cops, I can put in two guard dogs, and then pick up a story uh, story ally asset as well. I don't have to worry about only having one slot and then having to draw the charisma. I've always got the charisma in play. So I can structure my whole deck around it. 
But yeah. it cost me three experience to get charisma, so obviously I can't start the campaign with it in my deck. So what I need I need is a way of changing my deck once I've got them to include those cards, those extra cards that uses up the slot. Or a lot of foreknowledge and foreplanning that means you know that that's the first thing you're going to going to spend for experience. And given that it, the those two cards only just came out in the most recent pack, uh, Charisma and Relic Hunter, there's a lot of people who are playing campaigns of Dunwich where they haven't built their deck towards a sort of Charisma build or a Relic Hunter build. And I think we've talked about it when we've we've mentioned the cards. If you're going to spend three experience for Charisma, you probably want at least three or four, maybe five allies in your deck to get value out of it. Otherwise, you're spending three experience for a slot that you don't necessarily use. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But going back to Adaptable, as soon as you spend that one XP for it, it comes into play. It doesn't say the next time you're deck building or the ne- you know after the next scenario. As soon as you spend the one XP, you can start tinkering with your deck. I think that's very powerful. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think what it did for me when I thought about it like this is that it changed my view on what what a deck really is in Arkham. <laughs> And this this might sound obvious, but a deck isn't finished at a particular point as we play. Um, I don't plan an end deck and you know a start deck and then move from one to the other. My deck changes fluidly through the course of the campaign, and I might not have necessarily a particular aim at the end. I might on a second playthrough, I might know particular things that are happening in a certain scenario and be able to tweak my deck for that yeah. particular yeah. situation. And then kind of move away from that later on. Say, for example, there's a scenario which requires lots of investigating. And I've got my Mystic deck. I might decide to swap out, say, Blinding Light and swap in Right of Seeking. And that's going to cost you one XP to do it. Well, I would do it or two if I'm doing both. Two if you're doing both. I think that's important to note on this. If you're, as everyone probably listens to this knows, if you're making a change like that, it's costing you XP. And every XP that you spend on just changing the zero level cards in your deck is a change that you're not making to improving the power of your deck by adding higher xp cards you know the two xp changing two blinding lights to two right of seeking is the you know that could mean that you have four xp left and can't take the upgraded shriveling you have to take something else as well so although they seem like very small amounts of xp it can be pretty important can't it yeah, and, and it, it definitely allows you to look at the more edge case cards. I, I think there's a great example in the pack that's just come out in Essex County Express. We've got, uh, is it called I'm Out of Here? Or Get Out of Here? I, I'm Out of Here, it's called, oh, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I'm Out of Here, yeah. yeah. You could say that that's quite an edge effect. So that's it's it's an action to play. I think it's free to play, but it lets you resign as long as there's a card in play with the resign keyword. So in the core in the core scenario, I could use it just to escape from the house past a ghoul priest. If if that was you know Straight something away. that you, yeah yeah exactly, or it, it it actually comes into its own if we look at say the house always wins from the Dunwich Legacy, where you've got a vulnerable ally with you, which you then need to get to the exit. Yeah, and if you just resign when you're not at the exit, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, there there is a there's a weird edge case in House Always Wins as well that. You can't, if you resign, you drop your clues on your location. So that last location, which is a victory point location and has the resign action on it, 
if anyone has any clues as they're exiting, they drop them on the location, meaning it's impossible, almost impossible to get that last experience point. I think the only way at the moment is if you're able to resign while not being there. Exactly. So, so that card would be a bit more useful in that in that situation. And it's got two evade icons as well. So if I know I'm going into the house always wins, I can use adaptable, swap those two of them into my deck, replacing, say, manual dexterity. And then after it, if I'm going into a scenario which doesn't have a resign option, although I think actually um, Miskatonic Museum does, I can then swap them back out. Yeah, you can just tinker in that way and make these tweaks. Unless you be quite adaptable. Yeah, precisely. And the first change, you spend an XP and you get to make two changes. So you're getting another XP's worth of change. But then after the next scenario, you can make two more changes if you want to. So then you've, you've... accrued four experience worth of changes. Yes, they're not increasing the power of your deck necessarily. You're not getting stronger and stronger cards, but they're just allowing you to play around with the composition of your deck as you see fit. What you just described, that sort of preparation for a scenario, I think that's where Adaptable is really going to shine for experienced players who are maybe playing a campaign through for the second or third time and really want to be able to adapt their deck to every single scenario. I think where Adaptable is also really strong is a lot of people are playing through the Dunwich Legacy campaign pack by pack as they come out and they've built their deck at the start and now new cards are coming out and they want to try those new cards. And people are house ruling where you're allowed to swap your deck if you want to or it won't cost XP. You know, anyone's allowed, you're allowed to play however you like. But if you want to follow the rules of the game that says any change is going to cost you an experience point. Adaptable is a way that you can fiddle around to your heart's content, more or less. Well, in my in my campaign decks, there's I've done that multiple times. Like so, in my Rex deck, I wanted to swap in. I've got a plan when that came out. Yeah. Um, in my, my Mystic deck, I love the look of Hypnotic Gaze, but I'm, I'm hesitant to spend those experience points when I think I might need them elsewhere. Yeah. And our experience of this campaign so far is that getting between two and five experience points per scenario is about the limit, unless you're doing something where you're you're maybe, I don't know, waiting and farming as many experience points as you can in a scenario. I was going to say, I think even if you, you sort of really farm the experience, it's hard to get more than five. I don't know anyone who's got, well, certain exceptions. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know many scenarios where you could get more than five. Maybe on Miskatonic Museum, you can go to the extra exhibit halls. Yeah, but that's that's five. There's five of them. Oh, there's only five? Yeah, there's one yeah. that doesn't have experience. Oh, so okay, that's, right. that's your limit there. And similarly, in House Always Wins, there are three experience point locations. But as we just talked about, if you <laughs> resign at the back alley, you end up jumping, dropping your clues there. So unless you do something where you have an investigator who's not got any clues something like that you, it's hard to get those experience points i've so i've just played through and playing solo as ashcan pete and duke and i've just been trying a new deck that i've sort of been cooking up and i think the most experience points i got ever in a scenario was three you know so i had to be really cautious with how i chose to spend my experience points and getting only three means it makes it quite hard to even do an upgrade like upgrading both of your luckies or upgrading both of your big men on campuses you know you you can't just do a straight swap and improve two of those cards. So yeah, it's it's in a campaign that is XP light, adaptable really shines. Okay, so the one one th- maybe 
downside of adaptable or, or where it becomes less useful is later on in the campaign then when my deck might be more full of uh, higher experience cards. I mean, we've seen even cards like the class skill cards, so deduction and uh, emergency cash, the neutral event, they're getting upgrades yep. at, at various points through this, this campaign. So it could be the case by the end of it, most of my cards in my deck are, are experience cards or upgraded cards or cards I, I always want. So you could potentially say adaptable will become less useful as you, as you go on. If you want to get it early on is the time to get it. So I'm playing it in my Jenny deck. That I'm playing two-player Jenny with a, a Rex deck playing through Dunwich. So have you, have you used it much between games then? Yeah, I think I got it after our first scenario. And so, no, maybe after our second, but we've, we've been to Venice as well. So we've played five scenarios now. I probably spend more time thinking about how I'm adapting than I do what I'm upgrading. So I've, I've got two hot streak in my deck. I've got two upgraded Leo DeLuca, but adaptable is where I do the real tinkering in Jenny because she can have five off class cards in her deck. That gives me such freedom. If I drop out a, a dynamite blast, I can put in a dodge or I could put in a magnifying or there's you know they're basically limitless in what you can choose to do or how you how you can judge the deficiencies of your partner's deck and how you respond to that yeah as the campaign's gone on it's become clear that I'm doing the heavy lifting with regards to fighting so I'm now looking at swapping in a card like bandolier so that I can have a machete out and also have my twin 45s when the time comes yeah i i, I think that that's a, that's a really good use of, of adapting and that, that's the kind of thing i've got in mind when say if if someone's deck another player's deck takes a particular direction say they become more fighty or they could become more cluey then you can pick up the slack in the other areas if you're adaptable especially if your deck is is like jenny who who has an even spread of stats and who's got five out faction cards she can she can pick so she can bolster herself up in in whatever area you choose really if you need her to be more cluing you can grab two magnifying glasses and two dr milan if you need to be fighty you can grab a couple of big cops and a couple of machetes and i realized even i was running cards like think on your feet and sneak attack because they're just interesting useful rogue events but if I realise that I'm not playing Think on Your Feet, say, because I've actually taken on this role of the fighter, so I never really want to evade an enemy and move away because that leaves my playing buddy to deal with them, Think on Your Feet starts to lose its, its value and sneak attack I'm not really evading enemies anymore. So maybe I want a backstab or a vicious blow or, you know, things like that. But the opportunity to just make small changes and in a way to fine-tune the deck is so fantastic and if if this was another card game between games because we weren't playing a campaign maybe you would be making those changes anyway okay this time i'm going to try with you know these two cards it's those it's those last cards in your deck cards 26 to 30 where certainly if you're if you're me when you deck build i'm often thinking well do i just put in unexpected courage at this point because think on your feet might be good but it might it might be useless for what i want to do and adaptable allows you to make those changes without breaking the rules of the game or going back and starting again from scratch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it even it's not unique either. So J Jenny could pick two and then basically 
pick her five out of action cards before every game. <laughs> so wow, you could just yes, I hadn't just thought of that. <laughs> so you could just turn up with like you know four four options for her out of action out of action cards out of faction cards. God, I can't speak. And then just pick whichever one you need for the scenario that you're about to do. Yeah, and what that also suggests is this idea of of foreknowledge again. You're you're sitting down to play the scenario, and you've probably played it before. So you're going, okay, we're going into House Always Wins. I need money early on so I can do all of the drinking and the gambling. Yeah. And then later on, there's definitely going to be a bit of a fight. I need, and I need a ranged weapon or, or a firearm rather than a melee weapon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'll take out the machete and run the forty-five or whatever it is. Well, I mean, Derringer's... Your, your firearm spears, of choice. Yeah, but yeah, exactly, yeah. I suppose, let's, should we move on? Yeah, yeah, let's move on. I mean, it, it ties in relatively nice, actually. Um, I, I nearly mentioned what the other card was earlier, because it, it fitted in. Uh, but yeah. yeah, let's go for it. So the other card we really want to look at is Delve Too Deep. And this is a one-cost event. It's an insight. And it says, in play order, each investigator draws one card from the top of the encounter deck, then add Delve Too Deep to the victory display. And it's worth one victory point. And finally, the text there says some things once seen can't be unseen this card was spoiled to us i think maybe in the same article as adaptable by ffg a couple of months ago and again highlights exactly what you said about couldn't really exist in any other game in lord of the rings there are cards that work their way into the victory display and there's a deck archetype that plays with the idea of what's in the victory display and, and manipulating the victory display. But because the victory display in Lord of the Rings isn't really going to give you any XP, it's not really going to change your deck as a result. It's just a, a way of playing the game. It's not really the same as something like Delve Too Deep, I don't think. Yeah, well, it, it would be interesting to see them riff on this player card with victory points on it more. Maybe a, we could have a Guardian card which spawns a huge monster which you then have to kill in order to get victory. Oh, nice. Yeah, I like that. I like lots of things about Delve Too Deep. I think the theme on it is really cool, and the art is just fantastic. Yes. It, it's almost reminiscent of the... the, the what, what's it called? The the haunting horror in the museum. What's the... Hunting horror. The hunting horror, that's right. So, so it's al- almost of reminiscent of that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it, it, it represents that off-sighted, like, Lovecraftian theme of, of learning too much, of of diving too deep into some horrific tome and then suffering the consequences. So I, I really like that. The other thing that's nice looking at this in a pair with Adaptable is that Adaptable is about smoothing out your level zero cards, so fine-tuning your deck. And Delve Too Deep does the opposite thing. It's about pushing you higher and higher in power. It's about just getting more experience so that in theory you can you can get more good cards in your deck. So when we were just talking about the Dunwich Legacy campaign being pretty low on experience, if you were able to play one of these in each of the scenarios, you could be ending up getting something like 5 XP per scenario, which means after 4 you've got 20 XP, which is pretty huge. I'll tell you a story, Frank, of, of when I played this. Please do. In, in our scenario, yeah. So, so I was playing, playing the uh, extracurric- extracurricular activities with four players. And we'd got to the experiment rampaging around the campus. 
and we got the mm-hmm. experiment down to three health. So okay, we'd we'd done some teamwork shenanigans. So I had I had Leo uh, and four actions as Agnes, and I'd had a delve too deep in my hand for the entire game. So I, I knew I had a forbidden knowledge, so I knew I could I could kill the ex- uh, well. If I had a shriveling, so I first action I shrivel the experiment, uh, that takes it down to down one to health. one health. Now I know I can I can use forbidden knowledge as a fast action and put that last damage onto the experiment whenever I need to. So I played delve too deep. <laughs> we got a round of encounter cards. We managed to to survive that. It, it actually turned out to be not too bad. So I added it and to the victory loud display. groans from your partners. Well, it, well, not as loud as they groaned in a minute, because uh, okay. at this point, the, the Jenny player who had a loaded forty fives ready to to go to town on it, I was about to kill the experiment, and Jenny Jenny spoke up and said, "Actually, no, I, I fancy a chance of killing this thing. Why don't you just do something else with the last couple of actions, and I'll I'll kill it." So I thought, "Oh, okay." I decided to draw a card with my third action, and I drew the second delve too deep that's in my deck. <laughs> So, so to the groans of my, of my allies, I then played that one as well, and we ended up. I think we ended up drawing th- three monsters. It was two whippoorwills on the location, which stopped Jenny from being able to hurt it. <laughs> so, so I just finished it off. Yeah, that but, basically blanks the bonus from her twin forty-five. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I so we just finished it off. But but we finished that scenario then with five. Exp- uh, well, sorry, with seven experience points. We had five already two bonus from Delta to Deep, and that's seven experience, which is as much as you sometimes get across both the first scenarios. Yeah, definitely. It's a huge amount. I mean, that's the, that's the amount I would want to get out of the first scenario of the Corset campaign. Exactly, yeah. And then, and then as it transpired, we, we played the, the second one the other day, and I, I got another Delta to Deep off in that. I, I actually saved that to play the turn after everyone had resigned, except for me. So I was the last one there. I did Delta to Deep. I can't even remember what it was. Something inconsequential, then resigned. So we finished, just finished the game with an extra experience point. If they ever add a card that says you may not resign this turn, <laughs> that wonderful window for Delve Too Deep. So, so in both those situations, I saved Delve Too Deep until right at the end of the game when it was potentially safer, although we were all looking a bit worse for wear in both scenarios. Is that, is that the best time to play it? I, I think, yeah, I'd be tempted to say yes. It, it, adds more value to uh, scrying if you can scry and see what's coming up and you know it's not a risk to play delve too deep at that particular point then then you know it's it can almost be a safe action to do although of course you're drawing a uh, an encounter card again next to him which you won't have scryed yeah i think worth thinking about as well you know we've not really lingered too much on this but each investigator is effectively taking a second mythos phase Yes, another Doom's not getting added to the agenda, but drawing another card from the encounter deck is a pretty serious drawback to wanting to play this card. If you're playing as someone like Skidzo Tool with a willpower of two, you want to draw as few cards as possible from the encounter deck because any treachery that tests your willpower is basically a challenge for him. Yeah, it's, it's all right for Agnes with five willpower throwing these down, <laughs> you know, whatever she wants. Yeah, but... yeah. And all of the Dunwich investigators have pretty reasonable willpower. I think Rex and Jenny have three, but the other three have four. So they, they can kind of stump up to most of the punishment that the encounter deck is going to throw at them. So it, I think that definitely is something worth bearing in mind. 
how well your fellow investigators can handle an extra slap around the face, as it were. I, I mean, a, a thing that I like about the card is it makes us examine what we think an experience point is worth. Note that this card doesn't have any icons on it, so I can't commit it to any tests. Its only use is to be added to the victory display. Yeah. So when I'm putting this card in my deck, I'm saying not only am I willing to risk, you know, one to four encounter cards and the resource across the player and the action, I'm also willing to basically sacrifice that slot, that card slot on my deck. And I think as we, we know, it's difficult to fit in all the cards in your deck you want anyway, let alone using up slots for something that all it does is improve your deck in future games. Yeah. But that said... You're, you're completely right. One of the nice things about most cards we choose to pick is that you're always going to have the option to chuck them for their icons if needs be. That's one of the reasons why I love Elusive. It has an intellect and an agility icon. Mm. So it's got two icons, which makes it so flexible. If you, if you end up not needing to move, you can use it to help you land a backstab or... If there's a difficult parlay that you need to do that's testing intellect, it's an extra intellect icon. It's got it's got a lot of utility packed into one card. And Delve Too Deep says, no, 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 no utility. I'm not. There's, there's nothing this does apart from what it says in that text box. That said, the, the victory point I get from Delve Too Deep, or the experience point rather, from the victory point, I can I then use it in every other game or every other scenario in the campaign. You see what I'm trying to get at? So I've got... I, I, I add a card that improves my deck, and then I get the use of that card in every other game. So so yes. you have to figure out at what point you want to stop delving and take it out of your deck and put in you know something actually useful. At what point does what you've delved for replace delve too deep in that slot? You, know, you, get, you decide you want an upgraded... Uh... Peter Sylvester or something else in a Mystic deck, and so at that point you decide you don't need to delve anymore. Yeah, exactly. You, you're, exactly. you're completely right, and that that raises this odd question of: Is it better to delve too deep early in scenarios? It's nice to have that immediate exit, but if you can get set up well, the other possible time for delve too deep is early on when you can you can handle it. So in the house always wins. If you delve too deep early, the only enemies Going, you're going to get a criminals, which will be aloof, and rats, which are pretty easy to kill, and none of the nasty willpower-based treacheries have been added to the deck at that point, the encounter deck. So you can reliably handle everything else that's coming, more or less. Yeah, yeah. There are still some nasty treacheries there. Whereas in something like extracurricular activity that has all of that investigator deck punishment and the special icons in the chaos bag in that scenario punish how many cards you have in your discard pile you really don't want to delve too deep early and pull up an arcane barrier that's going to cost you five cards to leave or beyond the veil that's going to really put you on a clock yeah yeah i mean that's all you agree i, I agree yeah i agree with everything you said <laughs> interestingly when i first got adaptable for jenny i took out dynamite blast and put in delve too deep well, I'm interested in this card, yeah, in, in those out-of-faction ones, because they can all take it. It's not a fortune card, and it's it's not any experience points to, to put it in your deck. So all of the Dunwich investigators could take it. In fact, and then two of the core set investigators can take yeah. it as well. So the majority of people can take it. 
I just don't know how many people actually are. <laughs> I haven't had any stories of something horrible happening to people because of it yet. So, so someone having to, you know, being forced out of the game because of it. Yeah, I've not heard any either. I've also not heard any where two different people in the same party are playing it. And that would be interesting if, you know, my buddy's final turn is delve too deep, something else resign. And then my final turn is delve too deep, something else resign. You could potentially have a scenario where you get a host of experience because everyone has taken Delve Too Deep and they're all going to sub it out, but they're just going to, for one scenario, they know that they can all hit that point towards the end of the scenario where they can reliably deal with whatever comes out of the encounter deck. Maybe. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Do you think we'd ever see a levelled up Delve Too Deep? Oh my word, I don't even want to imagine what that would be like. Yeah, Draw two cards and get two XP? Maybe, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Or each investigator draws a card and loses an action this turn. Oof. I think it, at this point it becomes harder to balance for solo investigators. Yeah. I think that's the more difficult aspect of it because you risk making one investigator a lot more powerful earlier, earlier on in the campaign. But then I don't necessarily have a huge amount of experience solo, so maybe it's more crippling than I think. <laughs> Actions are, such, are, are at such a premium solo in the way that they're not it's just not comparable multiplayer as soon as you have one other person it opens up so much more flexibility that a solo investigator doesn't have and i've never been inclined therefore to take delve too deep if i'm playing solo i think i ran one in an agnes solo run of the corset and i had it in my hand twice and never felt i had the time to do it you know, there was always a better use for my three actions because I was killing a cultist or desperately trying to be drawn to the flame and find clues or whatever it was. So, yeah, I think I think strangely it's more playable in higher player counts, but that's also the scenario in which it punishes more people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great. Okay, well, I, I think I, we've said it. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I'm fairly happy with this, aside from speculating what other cards that might might give us victory points would look like which is which is interesting but yeah um, i'm sure we'll no, find out in good fine. time these two cards are both interesting to me because they interact with aspects which don't really feature in other card games which is ex- the experience and the the deck building aspect of it and they're they're interacting at a quite a basic level at the moment there's a lot of design space left for that between game period but as someone who loves deck building, increasing the game around deck building makes me really excited about the game. And I can't wait to see what else it is Matt and the team have got planned for that, that side of it. You're completely right. One of the things I was excited about when I first saw this game was that the decks are small. And I'm, I think I'm an alright deck builder, but sometimes I find it hard filling out the last few cards in my deck. And getting enough time to then test the deck and tinker with it and play with it. And these cards add to that experience between scenarios where you get a little chance to make a little change. And they also make it okay to maybe just throw a deck together and see how you go. And they each provide ways of mitigating where deck building's gone wrong or where you want to make a change or something like that. I think I should have said when we talked about Adaptable, Adaptable is blank during gameplay 
yeah, you're, you're spending one XP for a for a permanent card. I mean, I still put it out there. When I was I'm about to ask, did, did you still do that? I, one of my friends asked this, uh, and I, I I insist that he did. <laughs> you should be proud of it. <laughs> Jenny has indebted as her weakness as well. So when I sit down to play now, I have my player card, and then I put down adaptable and indebted, <laughs> and have this little this little host of things that are, are there when I start that remind me that Jenny is adaptable indebted Jenny, not any other Jenny. I think that's lovely. I really enjoy that. And it also reminds me that I've made little changes to my deck. I'm also the kind of person who, between games, I'm messaging my friends, to, probably to, much to their annoyance, asking, you know, I, I've, got, I've got this much experience. What, sh- what should I get? What are we doing in the next scenario? You know, should I, should I upgrade my blinding light? Should I, should I go for a, a swap in a, a right of seeking instead? And these, both these cards enhance that aspect of the game for me I can, I can say okay i've got this much experience to spend but then i could also swap two cards you know i've got adaptable yeah. I, can, I can change my deck if i need to yeah. so yeah i i, I really like yeah, both it's really and nice. I'm, I'm so excited for what they're gonna what else they're gonna do with this this phase me too it's gonna be fantastic so thanks for listening i think that's everything we want to say on these two episodes We'll probably do more episodes like this that sort of focus particularly on one card. If you have a catchy name for these kinds of episodes, why not let us know? You can find us on Facebook. We're Drawn to the Flame Podcast or Drawn to the Flame. You can find us on Twitter. We're Drawn to the Flame Podcast. You can email us, Drawn to the Flame Podcast at gmail.com. Or you can find Peter and me on all of the usual places. I'm FB on Twitter or Zozo on somewhere else or zero glass and peter is united u-n-i-t-l-e-d everywhere reddit or game geek discord the works you can find him and he has a super meat boy avatar yeah i'm i do the card of the day thread on the arkham horror subreddit so that's worth checking out if you want to talk about the, the strategy i think we've nearly finished the core set so we'll be moving on to dunwich soon great thanks for listening and see you all soon Bye. Thanks. Cue the music. a scenario where you get a big burp sorry (laughs) a host of experience